Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. What I love about Shopify is basically how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. I know we use Shopify here at Betches. And honestly, anyone with any kind of business could really benefit from Shopify. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash betches, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash betches now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash betches. Welcome to So Bad It's Good with Ryan Bailey presented by Betches Media. This is an exploration of all pop culture, from the classic reality TV moments of the past and present to the latest Daily Mail headlines and everything in between. We'll dive into all the infamous and notorious messes you can't stop watching. We're looking at you, Tom Sandoval. Folks, welcome to an all-new episode of So Bad It's Good with Ryan Bailey. This is your pal Ryan, and this is your Wednesday episode. How the heck is everybody doing? You made it to Wednesday. What do we always say? You made it. It's done. It's done. You can you can clock out for the rest of the week. Wednesday is all you have to get through, and then that just leads to Thursday and Friday, and then that sweet, sweet weekend. Uh, listen, guys, it has been a wild week so far. We had Sophie Ross on Monday, and yesterday we had... Dr. Simone Whitmore from Mary to Medicine, plus a full, intensive, exhaustive shot-by-shot recap of the Vanderpump Rules Season 11 trailer. If you haven't checked that out, check it out. Also, you can see all the graphics if you want to watch side-by-side with me on our YouTube channel. Uh, but that that is wild. And it seems like a lot of the things that I said or kind of caught seems I think there is, I think I might have, I might be on the right track about a couple of uh a couple of things that I said about the trailer and what is to come. Um, how the how the heck is everybody doing though? You know, I'm I'm a little low energy right now. It's been a full day. It's been a full last two days. I uh, got back from Vegas and immediately started working and uh, got up early and I've been working all day. Um, you guessed it on a couple pods and then I got to go to uh, Netflix. I'm interviewing an actor from a Netflix film that's not out yet. And I had to go to Netflix to screen the film because they didn't get, they wanted you to go in and these Netflix offices, you guys, Oh my goodness gracious. It is. uh, I'm like, Netflix is making some real money. I don't know. You know, it, it was nice. I mean, it was like eight of us in this like huge screening room seeing this film and it was so fun. I'm like, I'm kind of new to things like this. And there, I think there were other like reviewers and interviewers there. And they had like professional, like, like, uh, things to take notes on. I just had my phone, but, uh, and then you had to put your phones down and it was so wild because 
It's like, okay, this, you know, we're screening the movie, amazing, beautiful theater with amazing sound, but they had a, um, a piracy guard. I thought, I thought it was like a guy literally stood at the back of the theater. Um, it was like a, a 12 row theater. I think the guy stood in back the entire two hours just to make sure that none of us were on our phones or like filming the movie. And I was like, what a job. Like, what a job. And then I was like wondering how many times this I want to interview that guy about like, have you caught somebody at Netflix trying to steal the movie that came like, I don't know, it really I thought maybe half the film just about that guy and I could feel him. I could feel like I was in the the last row. I could feel him breathing down my neck at times. I like I was like, oh, my God. And then it made me kind of move even more in my seat. And I was like, am I being oh, my God, is he is he does he think I'm pirating a movie? Oh, goodness. But uh, that was really exciting. And then I came back and uh, I did a like an hour and 15 minute Patreon episode about Paris and love season two with friend of the pod, Samaj Bloodson. And that went in a lot of different directions, but I got to get a lot of my thoughts about Paris and love season two, because I still think that is really worth your time to check that. There's just so many good little nuggets of information. Um, did you guys watch uh, Salt Lake tonight? We'll do a recap on Thursday, but woo. I swear to God, the more uh, I'm, I'm confused. I'm like, is Monica sending the DMs about the Greek mafia or did Meredith truly get a burner account and sent DMs about Angie being in the Greek ma- mafia to Monica? I don't know where to believe. All I know is we need to get to the scene where Heather freaks out in Bermuda. I need to know what is going on. This is kind of, to me, a bigger mystery than if Sheena and Schwartz actually made out in Vegas. Like tomato, tomato. Like I figure like, yeah, there's a good chance it is Sheena or it could be a complete misdirection, as I said yesterday. And it was like the Sheena lookalike from Vanderpump Vegas. Who knows? We'll find out all in good time. Um, but uh, yeah, we're going to do this is going to be kind of a, a hodgepodge of an episode because we got an am- amazing director with us today. We got Andrew Jenks. I've been talking about this guy now for about a week and a half. If you've been listening to the show, uh, I did this interview right after Thanksgiving and he directed this documentary called Billion Dollar Babies. about Cabbage Patch Kids. Remember the 80s toy phenomenon? And if you don't remember, you're going to find out today. It was a phenomenon of phenomenon, and it really kind of uh, gave a peek into the future of the idea of toys and commerce and creating hysteria over an item that we want to own and a lot of us can't own. But he did this brilliant documentary, even found the creator of Cabbage Patch Kids, Xavier Roberts, and interviewed him and I found it to be just a fascinating, fascinating docu documentary that <laughs> made me laugh and actually made me tear up at times. I think you guys would totally dig it. Uh, until then, we're going to do the Bailey Mail, uh, my version of the Daily Mail, uh, a little pop culture roundup about a bunch of pop culture stories that I've been paying attention to over the last couple of days. We'll talk about it. We'll give some thoughts and then we'll move on to the interview and call it a day. Uh, now, listen, So Bad It's Good will be there for you over the holidays. I'll be releasing all new episodes. Now, usually around this time, people start, I God, I'm really overusing the Tom Sandoval phrase of dipping out. People start dipping out of podcasts because everything gets so busy in your actual lives with your family and friends. That's totally okay. You can come back in January, but just remember, if you're feeling down, if you're feeling lonely, if you want to step away from the family and friends, So Bad It's Good will be here for you. We've got an obvious array of topics that we will be going over. I'll try to get Bill Bailey, my dad, back on the show to to see how uh, the Christmas is going. But uh, 
I mean, it's coming. It's God. Is it? It's like a week and a half. I don't even know what day it is, folks. I am so tired. But uh, um, yeah, yeah, it's 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 coming really quick, and I can't. Uh, I really can't wait to put this uh, to put this year behind me. Are you guys like me? Did you have a good twenty twenty three? I can't wait to put it behind me. I um, I was texting with a friend and. Uh, she reminded me about my dog, about Brooklyn, Brooklyn Bailey, who unfortunately passed away this year as well. And I was just like, damn, man, you know, for as many good things, ha- the universe really kind of evens things out. But it's been kind of especially brutal this year, even though there have been so many amazing things. And I'm so proud that we've been able to keep this show going at the rate that we're going, um, especially with everything that's happened <clears throat> and uh, I just can't wait to get a, uh, a, you know, isn't that weird about the end of the year? You know, you all, all of a sudden think, well, we have a new year and I, new year, new me. You all of a sudden get this new outlook or in your mind, you've convinced yourself that magically when it becomes the new year, it's like clean slate and your mind gets fooled the clean slate. And I'm like, okay, you know, and, and I remember my big, uh, my big three, I actually talked about this in yesterday's interview with uh, Dr. Simone, married to medicine. My three resolutions were to stop drinking diet Coke. Um, stop drinking diet Coke to watch married to medicine and to, uh, to become a better friend. And I got to tell you, I started off strong in a lot of those and it, it petered out. I don't think I've done. So this I've, I've started watching married to medicine, but I started with this season. So at least there's something there. And then I stopped diet Coke. What did I stop diet Coke for you guys? Like three or four months. And it has come back with a vengeance. And this is exactly why I quit last year because December rolled around and I was, ch- I was bathing in this thing. I was like Meredith Marks in a bathtub, just filled with diet Coke. It's so good. I just love it on my skin. Like that's how I, I'm back at that place with diet Coke. And I'm not just, diet, I'm talking diet Dr. Pepper. If I can get my hands on some diet cherry Coke, it's all like, I'm just obsessed with diet Coke all of a sudden again. So that's horrible. And I don't think I've become a better friend. In fact, I think I've become in some ways more isolated than I've ever been in my life. I get to talk to you guys, but it's uh, nameless and faceless sometimes, even though I do know a lot of you guys now, but uh, it is weird. All three of those, I just feel like I have not, I've not be- made great strides. So uh, do you guys do that? Do you, do you put together lists of what you want to accomplish in the new year. Folks, summer is just around the corner, so it's time to say goodbye to those jackets and sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. Now, I wanted to update my wardrobe for the long haul without spending a fortune, and luckily, I found Quince. Now, I have a lineup of timeless pieces I want that will keep me looking fresh year after year. I got a pair of tan shorts. I got a pair of green shorts. I cannot wait to style these for summer. And I got to tell you, the quality is great because Quince has all the seasonal must-haves, like 100 percent European linen shirts from $30, performance polos, and versatile flow knit activewear. The best part? All Quince items are priced 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands. Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman by partnering directly with top factories and passes that savings on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. So you can feel good about what you're wearing on every level. 
So upgrade your wardrobe. Go to quince.com slash so bad for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash so bad to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash so bad. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yeah, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So, the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Should we do that together as a baddie family? Should we put something together? Should we put pen to paper and, and think of our goals and our dreams for the new year? Oh my gosh. And every year, the older you get, you feel like, oh man, like, cause, cause you're, I've talked about this concept of you get tired of your own bullshit. You're like, oh, okay. Well, you've done it now for debt. You've said these things about yourself for decades that you're going to fix and you haven't fixed them. How is this year going to be any different than the other years? You kind of get like that. I think that's one of the beauties of being uh, young is that you believe any, you're so full of hope and optimism and you think that anything could possibly happen because everything's in front of you for the most part. Anything could happen, right? Anything could happen. And that concept is so exciting. And then the pattern of life, life itself can throw you. I mean, so many things. Think about how many things that we go through on a daily basis. And they all, as you get older, just keep adding up and adding up. And new people come into your life. People go out of your life. You know, you have new dreams, new goals. You have failures, successes, kids. I mean, holidays, birthdays, everything. And it just keeps stacking up. I still have a stack of magazines from four years ago that I I promised myself I'm going to get to. I can't throw those out. I have got to read. I mean, I have Entertainment Weekly. Entertainment Weekly doesn't even exist as a print magazine anymore. And I'm still holding on to them because I need to read about the last Lord of the Rings film and how it got made. Oh gosh, I say this all the time. I just need somebody to come in. Maybe it can just be like a kidnapping situation. Like when they took Paris Hilton off to that, uh, you know, wilderness camp. Just, but we need a wilderness camp for grown adults where people just throw you in a van and then they just tell you how to live your life. I know what I'm describing right now does sound actually like a cult the more I'm talking. Yeah, okay, yeah. You know, maybe we don't need that specifically, but I really do. I want to be fully Brian Wilson where somebody is just like, now it's time to exercise. I don't care if you like it. Get on that treadmill. Now you're going to watch this. Now you're going to do that because left to my own devices, if I don't have a stack of shows that I need to watch and then talk about, I will just sit there and stare at the ceiling. Are you guys like, what if this is just my breakdown episode? What if I fully break down before we get to our guest? I bet I can do it. I bet I can do it. I'm, I literally am feeling my heart actually palpitating right now. <laughs> this is my, do you wait? Okay. This is another question. Do you think if I fully have a breakdown or fully go into some kind of shock uh, slash stroke, do you think that would be a, a heavily downloaded episode? Cause I feel like that could possibly get, that could go viral. Like watch a, this man has been doing a podcast for four years, uh, pretty much daily, and then he finally lost it close to Christmas year when he was talking about resolutions and goals for the new year. Oh, God. okay. I got to stop. I really am actually making myself sick. Let's start talking about some pop culture stories. Now, uh, Charlie Burnett. Charlie Burnett. Now, I really, 
I love Charlie Burnett. Charlie Burnett was on my podcast the first season. She was on Vanderpump Rules. And you should go check out that episode. It's something I'm really proud of because I think it showed a lot more of Charlie than Vanderpump Rules was showing at the time. You got a lot more of her backstory. And I will still say, I I sometimes say there are like two things that I cut out of that pod out of her request, at her request, that uh, I still think would be great in the podcast. Uh, But uh, she was on Nick Vialli's podcast. Uh, This is her second time on. And Meditza sent me some notes. Um, Charlie in the podcast says that Sheena and Lala are lame for talking about Rachel in their Christmas song. Charlie says she didn't go back to Vanderpump rules to protect her relationship. This was the first summer that she didn't have to film. Charlie says Brock is a payroll husband and does whatever Sheena says. And Charlie says Sheena and Brock bother her says it's weird, cringe, thirsty vibes. Now I did DM with Charlie um, but when she was deciding if she was going to do the show or not. And I remember I said, you know what? You, you should do it. There's a, there's a writer strike an actor strike. And I know she's an, a, a commercial actor and I think an actor as well. And she was, I know she was considering it. And I got to tell you, I think she made the right move in the end to protect her own mental health, her own sanity. And she says on this uh, episode as well that she she could come back. I mean, they were going to offer her a full contract and she chose not to. And I think in the midst of this scandal where everybody kind of has their hands out of money, 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 gimme, gimme, gimme. I think it is impressive to see somebody that doesn't do that. And so I was kind of excited, even though I do love seeing Charlie and I love when she at, remember when she stood up to Lala last season, I love, you know, she was actually Rachel's one of Rachel's only friends. And even Charlie was honest with Rachel of like, this ain't cool, your behavior, but I would have liked to have seen that. I wonder if Rachel had come back, that would have changed Charlie's mind at all. But I think Charlie still thought the whole situation was just insane. Um, I think she said that Tom Sandoval, she saw him at Barney's Beanery um, and felt weird seeing him. I know she's also team Ariana. She has not unfollowed her at all. Now, Sheena and Lala doing that Christmas song. I thought the Christmas song was really uh, funny and fun, and I expect that kind of shade. I wish there was more shade about Sandoval. And hell, I wish there was shade about Randall Emmett in the Christmas song. My God, please. Um, but I, I, you know, I didn't expect anything but that I didn't expect it to be like a, a, a holiday song without any kind of references to things that would possibly make us talk, right? Like even Charlie saying this on the podcast gets people that don't know about it to actually like, well, let me listen to this. Let me see if I get offended to this, offended by this, which actually is just that kind of concept that we always talk about of. In this day and age in pop culture, it really doesn't matter if people are talking about you good or bad, but at least they're talking about you. Now, I don't love that. It's not something that I strive for at all. It kind of makes my it makes my stomach hurt a lot. But you you have to admit people talking, get people listening, people buying things. It, it is this weird thing. And I do feel in the last five years that has really taken hold. And I do kind of attribute it sometimes to pandemic vibes and to like things getting closed down. And I think there is still such a residual anger that we all have myself included that I think we've gotten angrier in some ways and in some ways meaner. We were mean before, but I think we kind of brushed it aside quicker and now we sit with it and then we get angry about something and then it kind of that anger subsides and then we get angry at ourselves for being angry about it. And then we get angry about that. It's 
really weird. Do you guys find, am I, I, I mean, I really, I do notice that and it's weird. Also, Sheena was on Alex Baskin's hot mic podcast. Alex Baskin is, uh, I think the head of evolution media who produces Vanderpump rules, real housewives of Beverly Hills, orange County. I mean, really, truly a legend in his field at this point and had Sheena on and producer Jerry, producer Jeremiah. And there's a clip going right around of Sheena. <laughs> Poor Sheena, man. Sheena going like and tearing up, very real, saying that um, I don't think Ariana knows what I went through with all of this. And Sheena is a very feeling person, and she like I, I it's it's just funny. But I I I saw that clip and I was like, oh shit, because I knew that everybody was going to just take that and run with it. I think we've seen Sheena though. The thing when you have an episode, season. A, a television series that have la- lasted 10 seasons, you're going to see a lot of behavior that you recognize with these people. You're like, Oh, Sheena's doing that Sheena thing or Ariana's doing that Ariana thing. And Sheena doesn't ever seem to totally fully get it right. Sometimes in these sound clips that gets pulled. And I think what she's trying to say, I'm not the Sheena whisperer, but it's just that she does want to, to get along with everybody. She does want to um, see all sides. And I think though, in this moment may not have been the time to say that I do feel there was a little bit of a rush all of a sudden to try to try to get ahead of the blowback from the trailer of like, Oh shit. Like, and especially with Lala's line at the end, like I'd never seen somebody get cheated on and all of a sudden become God. And that read very bitchy and very jealous. And now Lala today didn't, uh, there was no podcast clip from Lala that came out, but what we did get is Lala uh, in Hawaii. She posted, let's see if this is still up. Yeah, no, here it is. She posted, uh, I don't know who took this photo. Who? She's fully naked. She's uh, pinky. She's on her tippy toes uh, on a fence. We see her buttocks and she's looking to the right. There's a surfboard on the left in like this outdoor shower. Uh, I really do want to know who took this photo. And the caption is jealous of what your ugly leather pants. And uh, that obviously is referring to Sutton Strat. Oh, 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 jealous of what your ugly leather pants to Crystal King Minkoff in Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. So this is Lala. Also, I think a little bit, maybe I'm reading into this kiss my ass. Now let's see. Stassi Schroeder commented on this. Be right back. Just going to go make a collage of your naked bod pics as my workout inspo. So I love Stassi breezing past the actual meaning of this and going, I like your ass. And then Gertie from Real Housewives of Miami said, oh me, oh my. Now this is sitting at like 116,000 likes. So very popular photo. I'm going to try to recreate this photo tomorrow and uh, see how many likes that gets. I don't know if there's like negative likes you can do on Instagram, but this is kind of la la kind of throwing this out there. But once again, I don't know. Sometimes is it okay just to apologize? Just like, guys, it's taken out of context. You'll see what it means. Um, but also once again, it's, it's what I keep saying on this show. I was even on uh, X X or Twitter uh, and people were commenting about this, but of like, you know, literally this was the comment of, yeah, I mean, Ariana's taken every opportunity she can get. It's too much. And I just don't know. I say this every episode. I just don't know. Like, are you supposed to turn down things when they get offered to you when you've not gotten 
as I don't, that's the thing that I just don't get. Are you supposed to turn down things nowadays if they get offered to you? Because you're like, you know what? I'm going to hold out until it's for my singing voice or I'm going to hold out like, no, no. What reality show has ever turned things down? And also I feel like Ariana, it's been a lot, but they've all been for like decent products. They've all been for things. And now she gets to do Chicago, the musical. And that seems kind of amazing as well. I mean, it's not her just cashing a check. She's actually going to be on Broadway seven days a week. Or I mean, you know, what, six, six days, right? They're, they're dark on Mondays. So I don't know. That, that's the thing. But I, I think it does come off a little jealous. But I guess that makes sense. We see that with friend groups all the time. Somebody gets something else. Somebody gets something that you want. Or, you know, you have something that somebody else wants. And you kind of feel that, like, vibe you're getting of, I know they like me, but it seems like they're not insanely happy for me. Or we just have this kind of problem in our society where we're like, and especially with women, you've gotten too much now. Please sit down. It's too much now. It's too much. And I just don't understand. I, I mean, I really don't understand at the end of the day how these people aren't just all ecstatic with Tom and Ariana because they were all able to make money off of this as well. That's the thing that really confuses me is that all of these people got something out of this. Even Tom Sandoval got something out of this. You know, you cannot argue that Tom Sandoval is not way more well known now than he was a year and a half ago. And then it's up to him with what he does with this notoriety. Like I said, once again, good or bad, it is still attention. It is still something that you can leverage, something you can make money off of. And he is doing it just as much as everyone else. So I'm so excited to see this season. I really, really am. But it is wild to watch everybody kind of. Hmm. Also, let me talk about Kim Zolziak Bierman. Remember her from Real Housewives of Atlanta? She, uh, she, uh, she did this Instagram post where she posted an ultrasound, and it, it, and and she was like, "Oh my God, you won't believe!" Link in bio, and it was like leading us to believe that she's pregnant. And I gotta say, I looked at this and I saw the Lincoln bio. Lincoln, Vicky Gunvalson, Vicky Gunvalson does this a lot too. Tamara used to do this a lot. Lincoln bio, which they want to click this link, and that means that some other company has paid uh, for whatever you see when that link is clicked. So it's a way for these housewives to make a little bit of extra money. But I just love because they'll go through length. They'll go through insane lengths. I think Vicky was like, "You're not gonna believe who died," and then it was like Lincoln bio. And I feel with Kim Zolciak, did anybody actually click the link in bio? Because I skipped right past it. I was like, well, there's no way Kim's pregnant. I'm just going to skip right past that. And if she was pregnant, I feel like somebody would have told me by now. But that is so interesting. It's it's that thing about reality stars. Like, we're going to have to take care of these people for the rest of their lives. I have to worry about Kim zolziak Beerman for the rest of my life. I need to make sure there is food on Kim zolziak Beerman's table. How, like, how did we get to this point? How did we get to this point? Okay, uh, let's get to some uh, some movies, you guys. Golden Globe nominations has come now out, and Golden Globes, they are always like the precursor to the Oscars. Now, they have taken a break the last year. There's been a lot of kerfluffle, and the Golden Globe Awards has always been kind of a kind of an interesting award show because at the end it's it's voted by foreign uh foreign movie critics and there's usually there's only like 87 of them there's not a lot where the academy has like thousands of people in it the golden globe are like voted on by like 87 foreign journalists and there's a lot of 
pay to play. You know, Harvey Weinstein used to like buy off people back in the day for Golden Globes because it used to be if you could get your nomination and if you could win a Golden Globe, that would help you get an Oscar nomination. And it would kind of start that cycle of advertising for your film project that you were hawking. So this time, the Golden Globes are moving from NBC to CBS. It's going to be on Sunday, January 7th. So Sunday, January 7th, I let's, uh, on Monday morning, Cedric the Entertainer and Vilmer Valderrama announced the nominees for the 81st Golden Globe Awards. Wow. Cedric and Vilmer, two amazing film actors in their own right. I mean, I love the people that actually announce these awards. Um, but there is a huge list of films. Best motion picture drama. We have Anatomy of a Fall. Killers of the Flower Moon, Scorsese, Maestro, Bradley Cooper's film, Oppenheimer, Past Lives, which I hear is amazing, and The Zone of Interest. Now, best motion picture musical or comedy, you have Air. That's the Ben Affleck film about uh, Air Jordans. American Fiction, Barbie, The Holdovers with Paul Giamatti, and May, December, which I watched last week, which you can watch on Netflix, and Poor Things, the uh, Emma Stone movie. Um, best performance by a female actor in a motion picture drama, Annette Benning for Niad, which also stars Jodie Foster, Lily Gladstone for Killers of the Flower Moon, Sandra Hewler for Anatomy of a Fall, Greta Lee for Past Lives, Carrie Mulligan for Maestro, and Kaylee Spaney for Priscilla. Uh, that is Sofia Coppola's film that also stars, stars Jacob Elordi. Now, best performance by a female actor in a motion picture musical or comedy, you have Fantasia Barino. The Color Purple, Jennifer Lawrence, No Hard Feelings, Natalie Portman, May, December, Alma Poisty for Fallen Leaves, Margot Robbie for Barbie, and Emma Stone for Poor Things. Best performance by a male actor in a motion picture drama, Bradley Cooper for Maestro, Leonardo DiCaprio, Killers of the Flower Moon, Coleman Domingo for Rustin, Barry Keoghan for Saltburn, Killian Murphy, Oppenheimer, and Andrew Scott, All of Us Strangers. Uh, I'm really excited for Barry Keoghan. Uh, I've seen Saltburn twice. I think that's great. Best performance by a male actor in a motion picture musical or comedy, Nicolas Cage, Dream Scenario, Timothy Chalamet for Wonka, Matt Damon for Air, Paul Giamatti for The Holdovers, Joaquin Phoenix for Bo is Afraid, the Ari Aster film, and Jeffrey Wright for American Fiction. Best performance by a female actor in a supporting role in uh, a motion picture, Emily Blunt for Oppenheimer, Danielle Brooks for The Color Purple, Jodie Foster, Nyad, Julianne Moore, May, December, Rosamund Pike, Saltburn, and Divine Joy Randolph for The Holdovers. Uh, and then Best Supporting Male Actor in a Supporting Role, Willem Dafoe for Poor Things, Robert De Niro, Killers of the Flower Moon, Robert Downey Jr., Oppenheimer, Ryan Gosling, Barbie, Charles Melton, May, December, Mark Ruffalo, Poor Things. Now, this supporting role category, if this is any indication of what the Oscars are going to be, this is a tough, tough category because De Niro, Downey, Gosling, and Melton – I've seen their performances and then Mark Ruffalo and Willem Dafoe and poor things. I hear that's an amazing film, but those four, I mean, those are all just insanely, insanely good performances. Best director, motion picture, Bradley Cooper, Maestro, Greta Gerwig, Barbie, Yorgos Lanthimos, poor things, Christopher Nolan, Oppenheimer, Martin Scorsese, killers of the flower moon and Celine song past lives. Here's my thought. I think there's a real chance for Greta Gerwig for Barbie because I feel like a lot of these males are going to split the vote. And Nolan and Scorsese, Scorsese, of course, a longtime artiste in motion picture cinema. Christopher Nolan is going to be exactly where Scorsese is now by his age, but he's already considered uh, a giant in the field. 
But I think there is a chance Greta Gerwig takes this. You have two women, Celine Song for Past Lives and Greta Gerwig for Barbie. But there is so much promotional push around Barbie that I think Greta Gerwig, keep your eye on that one in the Golden Globes especially. I think she has a chance. Um, and then uh, let's see. Let's uh, Best original song, Addicted to, Ro- Addicted to Romance by Bruce Springsteen, She Came to Me. I didn't even know that was a song. Dance the Night by Mark Ronson, uh, Dua Lipa track from Barbie. I'm Just Ken by Mark Ronson and Andrew Wyatt. Uh, I'm Just Ken, if I'm Just Ken gets nominated for the Oscars, will Ryan Gosling perform as Ken in the Oscars? I'm totally here for that. I hope he dyes his hair like Schwartz again. Peaches by Jack Black and Aaron Horvath for the Super Mario Brothers movie. Road to Freedom by Lenny Kravitz for Rustin. And What Was I Made For by Billie Eilish for Barbie. And uh, I don't know. So we'll find out the winners of these January 7th. Let's start the year strong with an award show that will predict some potential Oscar winners, which is that's what it's all headed towards. So I get fascinated with that stuff. I hope you get fascinated, too. And I keep arguing we got to get back to films. I've seen a lot of films recently, and it is such a nice it is just so nice to get to get into a film. Um I watched the other night the new Julia Roberts, Ethan Hawke movie on Netflix um, called um, Let the, what was it called? I wrote it. Oh, my mind, you guys. Too many things. I need more hard drive gigabytes in my mind. Do you guys ever feel that? You're like, I need, I need something more in my memory. Oh, leave the world behind. Leave the world behind two hours and 22 minutes. This movie was, and there's like a little bit of an apocalypse vibe. I kept thinking that it was going to be a zombie film at some point. Um, I will say this. You will be frustrated potentially by the ending, but it is a film that I put my phone down for after the first 10 minutes, I put my phone down for the rest of the movie. And I was, I was I was riveted. I was right in it. I I think you will be frustrated by the ending, but I was still I wanted to live in that world that they created more. But leave the world behind. I thought that was really really interesting. It did keep my attention. Uh, I'm sure a lot of you guys are. If you've seen it, you're potentially frustrated. But I thought it was great. Um, okay, moving on to some other news. Let's uh, let's give a big round of applause to Kenya Moore. From Real Housewives of Atlanta, Kenya Moore, we are so proud of you. She has finally finalized her divorce, and this is something that has been a long time coming. In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com and get up to 15% off your first purchase as a member with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for up to 15% off your first purchase as a member. She uh, said, after more than three years of litigation, I have finally been granted a divorce. Um, Kenya Moore tells people an exclusive statement about the private mediation. I want to thank everyone who prayed for and uplifted me when I needed it the most. I'm excited for this next chapter in my life and being the best mom I can be for my daughter, Brooklyn. As a hopeless romantic, I still believe my forever person exists and I know I'll have my happily ever ending after all. And uh, I think that is 
truly, truly amazing to finally have this settled uh, for three years. I mean, we saw this start on a season of uh, Real Housewives of Atlanta. Now, I do believe she has uh, there. She has like full primary custody, but there's obviously visitation rights and things of that nature. But I'm glad. And I, I think I love her statement about still believing in love. I think that's amazing. Also in Bravo News, remember this Thursday, we have the first three episodes of Real Housewives Ultimate Girls Trip, Roni Edition, over on Peacock. They will be airing the first uh, three episodes the next week on Bravo. But if you want to watch it early, we got three more hours of TV this Thursday because we got to keep up with our Roni ladies. Oh, and especially all you guys complaining about the new Roni cast. You better go support this. You better go stream the shit out of this. So, uh, so they can keep making more Roni if you want to see the, uh, the OG cast, which I think we all do maybe minus Ramona, but I think we all do. Also, um, I said something on Monday and I was corrected by somebody close to the source. Uh, if you're listening, I'm sorry, I didn't put this in yesterday's episode, but they reached out to me to let me know that, uh, <laughs> that, uh, Alex from winter house, Alex from winter house is not with uh, Jordan, uh, not with Jordan Emmanuel from winter house. I said that I suspected that they might be dating. They are not dating. I, I know that now for a fact. So Alex and Jordan, I'm sorry to even put that out there, but they are not. So I'm clearing that up. They are not, not dating. And let's end with, uh, something that I've been thinking about since I read this article a couple of days ago, because I just thought how amazing that this is uh, that this is an actual article, and the things that she says in this article is wild to me. This is Dakota Johnson. Now, Dakota Johnson, uh, she's in a new film for Sony called Madam Web, uh, a kind of like a Spider-Man, not with Spider-Man, but they all have Spider-Man type powers. the uh, The trailer is a little ridiculous, but uh, Dakota Johnson has always done some really interesting interviews. If you remember the Ellen DeGeneres interview where she told Ellen, that's not true, Ellen, in regards to a holiday party. Uh, she also dates um, Coldplay singer Chris Martin. And she, uh, and by the way, she also did an architectural digest video that cracks me up because she, I believe it was like lime. She has all these limes in a bowl and she was like, oh my God, I love limes. I love limes. And then later she admitted like she doesn't love limes. Somebody had just put them in a bowl and she was just, I don't know. She says batshit crazy things, but I love her. She also, Fifty Shades of Grey, the trilogy, me and Annabelle DeSisto covered each one of those movies. Also, you'll be happy to know I'm covering a new movie with Annabelle DeSisto this Friday. But this is the headline. Dakota Johnson insists on 14 hours of sleep a night, night, meditates twice a day, and drops everything to take a bath if she's stressed no matter what time of day it is. Meredith Marks extremely agrees with this article. Um, but in this interview, she uh, she told the Wall Street Journal that sleep is her number one priority. Um, she says, I don't have a regular wake up time. It depends on what's happening in my life. If I'm not working, if I have a day off on a Monday, then I will sleep as long as I can. Sleep is my number one priority in life. I'm not functional if I get less than 10. I can easily go 14 hours. Let's stop right there. Um, okay. What the fuck? What the fuck? 10 hours? Are you, I, listen, I did that, uh, I did shenanigans last week. I got two hours of sleep the night before I got two. I was rough. 
and I genuinely, I generally get five hours of sleep, like, you know, and that's like not even just solid sleep. That's a lot of waking up in those five hours. This person is doubling, sometimes tripling my average sleep 14 hours. Like if I slept 14 hours, I would think somebody knocked me out. I would think so. I think somebody's poisoned me and I slept for my body's healing. 14 hours to live a life where this is something that I even say, I'm praying to God. She's just fucking around again. She also revealed that she will get into a bathtub at any time of day. If in the middle of the day, I'm like, Oh God, what is the, this world? I'll get in the bathtub. I find water really grounding. Well, listen, you're in the bed. Most of the time. Isn't that grounding? God, if we can get a bed in the bathtub, that's like game over. You can just live in there. I mean, also that <laughs> bath. In the, I mean, and a lot of you people are listening and probably going like goals. She says, I meditate every day, twice a day. I do transcendental meditation. I've been really into breath work recently, and that's been helping me a lot with anxiety. God, if I, if I, I would love the time to get into breath work. Uh, last month, the star revealed the sweet way in which her boyfriend, Chris, helped to pull her out of a depressive state when she was having a low day. Let me throw her in a bathtub. Um, I love that it says reveals the sweet way in which her boyfriend, Chris, helped to pull out of a depressive thing. But she, oh, wait, wait, here it is. Um, a few weeks ago, I was having a low day. My partner said to me so kindly, are you really struggling? And I said, no. He said, baby, you're wearing a Cats t-shirt, like Cats the Musical. It turned, no, so this is her talking, like Cats the Musical. It turns out I was really struggling. So I think she's saying since she was wearing a Cats the Musical shirt, that was a sign of how depressed she was. I mean, that's literally my whole wardrobe. Uh, she continued, but that moment lifted my heart and it pulled me out of it. So Okay, so to get her out of a depressive state, you just got to get Chris Martin ragging on whatever she's wearing. Um, Dakota, who's been dating the British singer since 2017, continued, I think most of the time I speak about depression or anxiety in a very self-deprecating way. Perhaps it is easier to look it in the eyes if I wear the mask of comedy. Oh, God, I got to get I got to get this girl on the podcast. We are simpatico. She says covering my pain or anxiety in comedy is a lifelong tool, and I don't think it's a bad thing. It works. It helps me because sometimes if I don't laugh, I'll cry. I agree with that. She also says the biggest thing I've learned about depression is learning to become okay with there never really being an immediate answer, never really being an immediate end. Oh, even just reading that depresses me. Oh, God, I'm going to think about that tonight. Uh, you know her parents are Don Johnson and Melanie Griffith. You guys know that, right? The actors. Isn't that wild? And Melanie Griffith, she's friends with Chris Jenner and Kathy Ellen. She runs in that whole circle now. Isn't that wild? Um, so I just thought this was, I mean, the, the thing that really caught my eye was the 14 hours of sleep. I flew into a blind rage. <laughs> I flew into a blind rage when I heard that. Cause I was like, nobody should be good. Nobody. You hear me? Nobody. The last time I got 14 hours of sleep, I think I was in high school, I think, or it's like I had a tooth pulled and I was out on the good, good the, you know, the stuff they knock you out with. And then you're like so loopy afterwards and you immediately hit the bed and you go back to sleep. And it's like the most solid sleep you've ever gotten in your life. Anywho, uh, let's get to our guest today. I'm going to play the preview for Billion Dollar Babies. Now, Billion Dollar Babies, you can find in movie theaters, but it is also now streaming on Amazon, iTunes, Voodoo, all of the things. Uh, Google Play, you can rent it for like $3.99. And I think this is actually really well worth your time. It's going to give you a smile. It's going to teach you something. And uh, it's going to make you tear up at times. But Andrew Jenks, I don't know if you remember him from MTV's The World of Jenks. 
I think from 2009, we talk about it in this briefly, but this guy has turned into such an amazing documentarian. I talk a little bit about his career in this. It's a quick, like 27 minute interview, but I would love to talk to him again somewhere down the line. But this movie is all about Cabbage Patch Kids. And what was so fascinating with it, it was that I didn't really know the story. And you'd think, oh, who cares about the story? It's fascinating, you guys. This Xavier Roberts Roberts made over a billion dollars for other people and himself but it was all based on an idea potentially stolen from this other lady, which gets brought up in the story as well. But the way the documentary handles this is kind of beautiful in a sense. It doesn't really say who's right, who's wrong, but it puts all the information out there. But uh, Cabbage Patch Kids, they have an insane fandom, just like we. We are insane fans of pop culture. So it fits right in with So Bad It's Good. And I just thoroughly thoroughly enjoyed watching this documentary i can't wait to hear when you guys watch it what you think about it but without further ado here he is the one the only andrew jenks the documentarian filmmaker from billion dollar babies three people were injured on a busy black friday i got my dog i got my dog it wasn't always like this but something happened in 1983 And we were never going back. The intensity of this search for these dolls. A full-grown woman taking a doll out of a child's hand? They trampled everybody. The way in which people reacted in stores, this was new. What do we tell our little girl Christmas morning? What are we supposed to say? You've been good, but Santa ran short? This is a story about the worst parts of capitalism. This nice lady created these dolls. And then this guy comes along and he steals the idea. I don't know whether it's true or not true. Cabbage Patch Kids are original to Xavier. I used to think that it was illegal to talk about this when I was little. Anybody tells you, oh yeah, we knew this was going to happen. You institutionalize them. I don't think there were any winners. The winner was money. Is this an advertiser's dream come true or a nightmare? You guys, welcome back to So Bad It's Good, presented by Betches Media. I am still at my parents' house. That's why I'm in this room with toys strewn about the the floor. I try to go find a specific toy, which is related to the interview that we're about to hear right now. But man, I got to watch a documentary this past week that took me back. It made me learn something. I, I was an 80s kid, so I was so in it. But it also like touched me at certain moments. I mean, it was everything that you want from a good documentary, and it's in theaters now. Uh, but when I did my research, I get to speak with the filmmaker today, and it turns out I am a fan of his work already. Uh, you guys might know him from his 2010 MTV show, World of Janks, but then he made this beautiful documentary, It's Not Over, that I loved. He did Dream Slash Killer, which I thought was amazing, told the story of Ryan Ferguson on an MTV series as well, but now... He directed a documentary that I think is so worth your time. And what is that documentary, you might ask? It is about an 80s toy craze. If you were an 80s kid, you know exactly what this craze was because it involves the Cabbage Patch Kids. Uh, This is called Billion Dollar Babies, the true story of the Cabbage Patch Kids. And we have the filmmaker with us, Mr. Andrew Jenks. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you. That was an amazing intro. I, I, uh, that means a lot. I appreciate it. Yeah, no, I'm glad to be here, man. 
Dude, I, I mean, I was blown away by this documentary, and then I started, I was like looking into you, and I was like, oh my God, like I've seen your things before and have been so moved. My question, though, to start out with, why did you want to tell this story about the Cabbage Patch Kids? Uh, you know, when I heard of um, the idea, I, uh, you know, I went to YouTube and uh, and was just doing like, you know, elementary kind of basic, basic, you know, research that anyone would, would do. And just saw those videos uh, from 1983 <laughs> and 84 of, you know, adults um, just going absolutely insane and the melees and the baseball bats being thrown around and uh, just how crazy it really was that kind of started or like, or piqued my interest, you know, why, why that was happening. Uh, but what really kind of uh, reeled me in, especially as the process went on was uh, Martha Nelson Thomas and the story oh. of this uh, woman who was a doll maker and artist. And uh, you know, the, it, it all, the movie kind of gets really into all of this, but a question as to whether or not her her concept, which were called the doll babies, were um, stolen or were they inspired? Were the Cabbage Patch Kids inspired by them? And, and there's kind of a, a larger arc in there that I um, that really kept me, uh, you know, engaged in in this oh. all. That arc was so beautiful. And just to remind you guys, Xavier Roberts was the face of Cabbage Patch Kids. Like he was the, you know, quote, creator of this. And he would sign their little tushies. You saw it on all of the, the Cabbage Patch Kids. But there was a larger story that you're able to tell. And you actually got an interview with Mr. Roberts in this. And he seemed like a really great guy. But like, I had no idea about the adoption that this had started where you could go adopt the baby. They were like birthed out of actual Cabbage Patches. The footage in this that you culled was so incredible. And and the story you tell even with Martha, I love the the resolution even towards the end. And I don't want to give things too much away, but it was fascinating how time can heal things, how time can change. You talk to Martha's kids in this, but what was it even like getting Xavier Roberts to sign on to this, to actually talk? And he talks very honestly about everything. Uh, yeah, no, it took uh, a long time. We actually started filming uh, the other interviews and uh, not knowing if Xavier would be part of the movie. Um, it took a long time. You know, he hadn't done an interview. Well, he, I don't think he's ever really, from what I could tell, sat down and done a full interview like anything on the table. And the last kind of interview, I suppose, he did, uh, from what I could tell, was maybe 20, 25 years ago. It was all of two minutes. Um so for months and months trying to find him, you know, track down his high school yearbook and, and uh, start calling classmates of his. And it was crazy because there was like there was this kind of mystique or, or sort of mystery all, all surrounding him. And I hear whispers like, oh, I heard he lives in France now and all these sorts <laughs> of things. And um, but, uh, you know, over the course of time, uh, finally did get, in, you know, get in touch with Della, who's kind of his right hand person. And, um, and yeah, he sat down, I think at first we had like an hour, but it, it, it certainly, it, it went on for several hours. Um, and we're, you know, I'm very grateful that he, you know, he spoke about everything and a lot of things he's never, you know, talked about before. Uh, you know, it was fantastic. And I just thought it, it took me back to the eighties. And I think anybody listening right now, you guys are all pop culture fanatics. 
you all have a Cabbage Patch Kids story. I was talking with my sister. It almost ruined Christmas one year because she got the wrong Cabbage Patch doll. And she was like, oh my God, you're going to tell that story again because it almost ruined Christmas because she opened it up. She didn't like it, threw a tantrum. My dad got pissed. And we all have a Cabbage Patch doll story if you were in the 80s. But also the story you're telling is so, it's so prescient right now because we're coming off of Cyber Monday, Black Friday, which was, this is kind of the creation of Black Friday, you guys, of consumerism. You talk about getting credit cards, Reaganomics, the Reagan era. It hits everything so beautifully. I was just wondering, like, what Cabbage Patch, how they would have handled Cyber Monday, how they would have handled online business. But this was all new in the 80s. It was like a new frontier. Yeah, it was. And, and you know, part of the sell of, of Cabbage Patch Kids uh, were that each one was unique, uh, you know, uh, different. There was no two Cabbage Patch Kids that were actually, you know, exactly alike. So using a matrix, they had different eye colors, shape of nose, hair color, uh, you name it. And it was because of the technology at the time. They were using essentially cutting edge technology that involved computers <laughs> so that you could mass manufacture a doll for the first time ever that was, uh, each one was, was slightly different. And so, yeah, you're right. The, uh, the supply and demand of it all, I found, I found really interesting. Uh, you know, the fact that they just hadn't produced enough really also, uh, created and, and was a part in, in, in this, in this craze coming, coming to life in the way that it did. Uh, you know, once there was news reports out there, that there was a shortage of Cabbage Patch Kids, people's interest just really peaked even more. You know, at one point, this is in the the documentary, but the uh, county court, essentially the U.S. government, actually ended up fielding a false advertising charge against Coleco, uh, the makers of Cabbage Patch Kids, (laughs) saying that they were, quote unquote, harassing kids by running ads for dolls that weren't available. So... Coleco, the company, uh, had this big announcement. We're dropping commercials, further advertising. And of course, what did that do? It created an even more demand. And so that was certainly uh, a little bit of like Econ 101 in the movie, too. Oh, it's great. I mean, you even made business business executives come off amazing. Like even the story of these business executives going to ColecoVision, going all of these. It was really, you know, you hit every... Mark, in terms of like, it had heart. It actually taught you something. Even the fans, you had these this couple that had more than 6,000 dolls at one point. I believe Joe and Pat. And you interview them and they're surrounded by Cabbage Patch dolls. At the end, they're like, hey, we're, we're going to give these away in our will to our kids. And we have certain ones that are going to go here, there. And it was so funny yet beautiful because it was so real and it spoke to fandom. And I thought that was an even an interesting you know, kind of twist in the whole story you were telling. Yeah. Yeah. It's so funny. So not only that, but Joe and Pat um, have designed their uh, have, have designed, um, you know, where they're going to be buried. Uh, It's going to be a little (laughs) bit bigger of a, of a area um, so that they can fit uh, a few of their cabbage patch kids with them. Which is just crazy, but they've they've already like designed it so that so that they can they can do that. Um, yeah, you know, I think you know a big part of, of of what what you're what you're speaking to, Ryan, was just like people bought into the fantasy of all of this. The idea that Cabbage Patch Kids had a birth certificate, each one had a unique name, 
uh, there was this real kind of story. You know, you weren't allowed to call them dolls. They were only called kids. There was a rule book of kind of do's and don'ts, including that. Uh, you know, Babyland General Hospital is is remains this this you know huge building that is a uh, you know quote unquote hospital for dolls for for kids. Yeah, you can still visit today, you guys. Yeah, you can still visit today. That's actually where we did the interview with Xavier. Uh, they, you know, there's a, uh, a a cabbage patch birth. I think every hour or so, where a nurse comes out and does the routine. Uh, <laughs> so there was this this fantasy element that uh, you know played a big role, and I think why this this took off in the way that it did. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it's very interesting. And you have like some real, like Neil Patrick Harris is the narrator through this. Why did you go with uh, Mr. Harris to like walk us through this? Because I thought, you know, an amazing narrator, obviously. But why did you think this story needed a narrator? Uh, you know, I think there uh, were a lot of different moving parts uh, to the story uh, and kind of, you know, deconstructing why the Cabbage Patch Kids had the success that they did. Uh, there isn't anyone that could be interviewed or you'd really follow in real time that would be explaining that sort of thing. Um, so what I liked about Neil was he, he kind of walked that fine balance where you don't want him to be like, take over the story or become the story. You want the narrator to sort of propel story in, in some way or, or add some sort of dimension to it. And he also has kind of or at least can have that sort of subversive nature that I think the Cabbage Patch Kids are very, uh, <laughs> just, you know, it's kind of zany. And so I think he's able, you know, to to do that in a, in a way that, you know, is pretty entertaining because I, you know, we don't want to take the movie too seriously. It's about, you know, it's about the Cabbage Patch Kids. No, I mean, that was the thing. It was like this great blend. I was just sitting there with a smile on my face for the entire hour and a half. Um, but it is interesting because you even touch on what was a huge thing for us in trading cards, the Garbage Pail Kids. You know, there was lawsuits against the Garbage Pail Kids in regards to the Cabbage Patch Kids. And that's how serious Xavier and the companies took this is that please do not make fun of this. They took it that seriously. And even Xavier, even even wherever you stand on like who started it, Martha or Xavier, he truly loved these dolls. Like they were really kids to him and he respected that process. And I thought that was kind of a beautiful notion, but I remember those cards. I mean, that was another thing that I was just loony for. No, that's a really good point uh, that you make. And a, and a lot of people don't, uh, you know, not, not, not as many people as I might've thought touch on, touch on that in, in terms of what you're saying of, how Xavier takes, took it all pretty seriously. Um, yeah, that's a really good, a really good, good point. And, and to that point, you know, that's people always have asked, why does, why did Xavier sign, you know, the butts of each cabbage or the tushy of each cabbage patch kid. And that's always been kind of a mystery, um, a big mystery, especially in that, in that world for a long time. And what he explains in, in the doc is that, you know, he, and I, I'd have to rewatch it, but you know, he says some version of like, he looked at at them as, as pieces of art, not necessarily as like a kid's toy. Um, yeah. and so he took the kind of artistry of it very seriously. And so like any artwork, this is what he said, you know, like any artwork, you, you sign it, like painting, you know, you sign on the corner or whatever it may be. That was his version of doing that. Um, so you're right. He, he took it all, uh, seriously. And again, that played into that element of fantasy, like, oh, if Xavier takes it this seriously, you know, 
the whole brand takes it this seriously. Yeah. I've thought about Martha ever since I watched it this past week, and I didn't know Martha's story at all, who was, you know, started Doll Babies, you guys, which I'll talk a little bit about before this interview. You will already have heard it. But I keep thinking about her because the documentary even points out she probably wouldn't have been able to get it to the point of Xavier anyways. You know, Xavier, there was almost a Barnum and Bailey show quality that Martha would never have been able to get to. And I just keep thinking about that. And I keep thinking about her especially and art. And, you know, these, you know, at, at Martha's funeral, the first row of her pew, you guys, was all of her doll babies lined up and we get to see a picture of it. And I just thought, I, I don't know why that's, it's really stuck with me since, but just like commerce and art. And this documentary points all of that out but where did you fall when you know telling Martha's story did it move you oh yeah Martha's story definitely moved me I mean how do you you know she's very much kind of an artist's artist um you know I think according to her own kids you know money commerce wasn't really on her mind for better or worse you know you know that wasn't something that that she really occurred to her um and so what's been interesting for me is that I didn't know where things would land, but I'd say 50% of people who've seen it that I speak with say, oh my God, Xavier just stole the idea from Martha. From Martha. Um, it's horrendous. It's terrible, et cetera. The other 50% say, you know, Xavier's an incredible businessman. He certainly didn't do anything illegal, which is, abs- you know, which is true. Um, uh, and he he was influenced and and inspired by by Martha's work because they had met and you know there's that whole story, uh, but he didn't steal it, and so it's definitely been interesting uh, to see how how different people have have landed on that question because it is a big question in, in the film. Yeah, and I love where it kind of where it winds up or where I thought it wound up, and I hope you guys will see it and let me know what you think. Um, as a documentary filmmaker, you have you know, worked in such heavy subject matter over, uh, over your career. What is that point in, in, in doing a documentary film? Is there a part that always grabs you? Is there a part that's like, Oh, this actually gets me further into this. What was that point on uh, billion dollar babies for you? Was there a point of like, Oh, I need to go further or this is, ex- you know, this is ex- as exciting as anything I've done before. Uh, yeah. I think that uh, when I found, the I had been looking for quite a few months. Martha and Xavier had been in a court battle case uh, for several years in the early eighties, um, even before Cabbage Patch. Well, it, the case started even before Cabbage Patch became what it became. It continued through that. It was it lasted several years. So if you can imagine being Martha and all of this is going on, uh, but this court case was happening and and. Uh, and I really wanted to get hold of the, the documents. And it took several months. We were just getting out of COVID. Uh, you know, the, the kind of filing systems and infrastructure weren't, weren't there and they already were, weren't great. So trying to find, you know, a, a court case from the early 80s and the, and the transcripts and the, the exhibits, and it was hundreds of pages, t- took longer than I maybe would have thought. Um, but when reading through those, it all came to life in terms of, you know, because online there's all these rumors and opinions, but like actual, actually reading the court case really, um, I think kind of pulled me in even more. And, you know, it's kind of hilarious. If you had told me for the Cabbage Patch Kids, I would have been reading, 
you know, and, and corresponding <laughs> with the Atlanta justice system, the, the, you know, Georgia justice system and the, I forget which, you know, district it was, but, uh, that, that part was pretty, it was also kind of surreal to be doing that. Yeah. I mean, you've studied court cases with wrongful convictions and now you're studying cabbage patch dolls. I mean, yeah, cabbage patch kids, sorry, cabbage patch kids. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it was wild. No, hundred percent. Um, uh, you actually have Connie Chung in the movie as well. Is that right? Yeah, she was she was great as her talking head. And she kind of points out like, ah, I thought they were gross. And you have clips of Diane Sawyer. And I remember my mom saying like, oh, I think they're ugly. She thought E.T. was ugly too, you guys. She was like, oh, they're ugly. I don't get it. I mean, Connie Chung was great. I thought she knocked it out of the park. Yeah, you're right. She spoke to, she did. She's a, she's, she's really funny, really sweet. She, um, you know, she says, you know, they're ugly. And I think a lot of people would agree. It's funny, though, that people who are loyal to, to Cabbage Patch Kids I, will often say they're not they're not ugly. They're vulnerable looking. And <laughs> yeah. uh, and it's interesting. There's a lot to be said for that, because I think because they were vulnerable looking or ugly or whatever, they there was a, a kind of an inherent element of, you know, kids feeling a, you know, a responsibility to take care of them. Um, so I think, again, it's, it's like all these little details maybe on their own don't mean much. But when you add that vulnerable looking doll to the fact that you adopt it, you don't buy it to the fact that they're all unique and different. And, you know, all these different things kind of create a, you know, create what happens. Juggernaut. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I keep thinking, and also you make the point at the very end of what came after, you know, like you had the tickle me Elmo's you had, you know, like all, I mean, all of these things kind of spurned from that. And I was trying to think of where we are now as a society and culture, you know, it's like we are online most of the times. I mean, we still go out and we do the black Friday shopping, but now cyber Monday is just as important as black Friday. And I, I was just thinking about all of the commerce that goes into these things that are, you know, what started of these kind of art pieces that you were supposed to take care of and made kids, you know, uh, want to take care. I mean, it was like a beautiful sentiment that gets mixed in with money and greed and things like that. But we've not really changed. It's only intensified in a different pattern. Yeah, I think I think that speaks to certainly the supply and demand. You know, we only have so much left and this is your, you know, 24 hours to get it. And that that really hasn't changed the, the method, maybe slightly. But you know, the other thing that, that Cabbage Patch Kids did in terms of the business side of it all is I think at one point they had like 150 licenses around the world. So if I remember right, they sold like $20 million worth of Cabbage Patch Kids diapers. They had low sugar cereal that didn't, yeah. that, although that didn't do as well. Uh, earmuffs, baby mattresses. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, I think one of oh, the- they had a soundtrack. Know, they had a soundtrack, you guys, that actually yeah. went platinum, I believe. Yep, exactly. So uh, they made it, you know, uh, you know, its own economy, its own, you know, Cabbage Patch Kids universe where they were able to smartly not not just sell the doll, but sell a lot of other, you know, uh, a lot of other things in addition to the doll. Uh, when you were growing up, Andrew, what was your Cabbage Patch Kid? Uh, you know, it's super cheesy. Uh, oh, oh, literally my cabbage patch kid. I mean, like, what was your, like, I mean, you might not, you obviously had been into cabbage patch kids. I think you're past the time of like the, you know, I think you were a nineties kid potentially. What was your version of a cabbage patch kid? Yeah. Okay. Got it. Yeah. Um, so this is going to sound really cheesy and I'm going to, I'm going to regret it. I never, <laughs> I never had, uh, I've never had many dolls or, 
or toys that I can think of. Um, one, but I did always have a big bulky VHS camera and at, we, tr- my dad worked for the UN. So we traveled a lot when I was a kid and wherever we went, I'd pretend that I was like a CNN anchor, uh, filming, uh, uh, with the camera. So the, you know, my, my version of a cabbage patch kid, again, embarrassingly was this would, would be this video camera. That's not embarrassing at all. And look what you do now. That's amazing. No, it's just and a little I, cheesy. You know what I mean? It's a cheesy answer. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, like, but also, I mean, I know we just have a little bit more time left, but I mean, it, what did ignite your passion for telling stories? Um, you know, definitely that, uh, you know, when I was, when I was, uh, 19, I, uh, didn't love, uh, my freshman year of college, wanted to make a movie, didn't have the money certainly to make a scripted film, uh, but knew that I could, um, make a documentary, which were becoming more popular at the time. I could buy a used camera off of eBay. Uh, you know, Morgan Spurlock had just made 30 days where he, or not made a supersize me where he, yeah. where he ate McDonald's for a, for a month. And I, I saw that and, and realized, Oh, you, you know, to, to cut costs, I could be in the documentary, direct the documentary, <laughs> produce the documentary. So it's a, a longer story, but I ended up uh, the summer after my freshman year, moving into a nursing home uh, for five weeks, lived in a nursing home, um, edited the movie in my parents' basement uh, HBO ended up buying the movie. And ever since then, I've been making documentaries for now almost 20 years. Um, was that so room three, three, five? Yeah, you got it. Um, wow. and by the way, I want to point out, he talked about pretending to be on CNN. He actually did a beautiful short film for CNN films, yeah. uh, about an all day. I mean, I'll, I'll talk about this before. Cause I only have a little bit of more time, but really what an amazing thing. And as a a filmmaker, though, now, do you are you the type of filmmaker that you're constantly working on four other ideas at once? Uh, yeah, I think one because it's it's fun too, and you know it's fun to kind of get your hands dirty on different things. It's also like practically speaking, in terms of uh, continuing to to do projects, you know, one can fall off the cliff at any moment. You know, something can happen or. Or, uh, you know, you always need to be juggling quite a few projects um, because you just never know when, you know, when all of a sudden one one falls apart or something happens, you know, so it's there's always a lot a lot going on. Yeah. Um, also, I want to once again recommend and I'm going to give the uh, the web address where you can actually find where this is playing at a theater near you because we do have to go out and see movies in theaters again. It's so exciting. I've been doing it recently and it's just great. I know the pandemic threw things off a little bit for us, but these are the kind of films, not just the big blockbusters. We need to go see like this is the kind of film that I grew up loving. Go out to the theaters and support documentary filmmaking. I mean, in terms of the pandemic for you and what you did, I mean, I know you're working on this during, but, uh, I mean, where do you see the movie landscape right now of trying to get people back into the theaters? Oh gosh, I have no idea. I mean, I, I, I wonder if, uh, and this, you know, this has been said for years long before the pandemic, but does like, I'm not saying this is a good thing, but does, do, do movie theaters become kind of like what Broadway is where, you know, it's, it's a very expensive ticket and it's, and maybe it's just like really big blockbuster movies. Um, 
or Taylor Swift concert films yeah, or become like kind of a very only for quote unquote big thing. I, I have no idea. I, I think that's a great question. Uh, one that I am definitely not equipped to even pontificate on. <laughs> well, I, I'm going to, I'm going to do a solid right now. Billion dollar babies is sold out everywhere. You cannot yeah, get a ticket. If you go. even tried, you yeah. can't get a ticket for it. So don't even try it. And that'll make yeah. lines out the door, just like cabbage patch kids. Why didn't I think um, of that? Brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's sold out everywhere folks. Um, and then finally, is there any avenues in this film that didn't get to be put into the final cut or things you're like, I was going down this Avenue. It didn't really work or it didn't fit in because I was wondering the stuff that got left on the cutting room floor or the parts of the interview, especially with the, the couple that collected the dolls. I was like, Oh my God, I want a full hour of these guys or just the, the full uncut Xavier Roberts interview. Were there things that you're like fought to keep in and didn't make? Uh, that's interesting. Um, you could do a whole documentary, uh, kind of recreating the, the court case, I would say, uh, you know, yeah. it was a, the court case was like three or four years. Um, you know, the lawyers were their own characters. Um, you have Xavier on the stand, you know, there's, a, there, there's exhibits where they bring in different dolls and like, oh, uh, like there, it's a whole thing. <laughs> the whole thing. So, uh, that part could have definitely been, you know, I mean, there's a lot, but that, that part you could definitely sort of unpack on, uh, for, for, for quite a while. Yeah, I, I think so. Uh, guys, if you want to see this and I think you should see this, you can go to cabbagepatchfilm.com. It'll tell you all the places that you can see the movie. You can put your email address in there. I think it's important to go support films like this, like I said. And and dude, I just tell like you really are some a filmmaker that's moved me uh, with your career. And I can't wait to see what you do next. I will be watching and following. And it's just a real honor to talk to you. And I hope we get to talk again sometime because uh, I just think you're you're just fantastic at what you do. Well, thanks, Ryan. I, that's very, very nice of you. I, I really appreciate that. And I appreciate you uh, helping us with, with the movie. It goes a long way. And uh, Kara, how dare you not pull the Cabbage Patch Kid out of the crawl space because you didn't want to get up there. I wanted to show Mr. Mr. Jenks, but you wouldn't do it for me. So uh, <laughs> I hope this was good and I'll talk to you guys next time. So Bad It's Good is a Betches Media production. The show is hosted and produced by me, Ryan Bailey, with Meditza Lopez and Sandra Fryer. Additional support provided by Sean Kilby, Jorge Morales-Pico, and Rebecca Steinberg. Guest booking by Ali Friedlander. Video promotion by Laura Valencia. Be sure to send us your emails at SoBadIt'sGoodWithRyanBailey at gmail.com and follow the show at SoBadIt'sGoodWithRyanBailey on Instagram. And for additional craziness, go to Patreon.com forward slash SoBadIt'sGood. Stay bad, baddies. Batches.